Morning, everyone. Oh, I didn't know if my mic was turned on, but it actually is, so that's all good. Thank you, Rod, for reading the scripture. Thank you, Kara, uh, for a great video and uh, for mixing what the need is in Ethiopia and the way that we can respond here uh, in Edmonton. Let's pray together. Father, I just ask now that as we uh, open your word, that it will be uh, just an opportunity for us to hear again your heart, your love for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the letter to the Ephesians is the focus of our study these days. And uh, today we'll conclude the first part of uh, the letter, the first three chapters. And then next week we'll move over into the more of the application side, starting in chapter 4. So there are six chapters. First three are sort of orthodoxy, and the last three are orthopraxy, or the application, the living out uh, of what Paul has been teaching in the first three chapters. So last Sunday we gave our attention to the fascinating uh, parentheses in chapter uh, 3. It's like Paul was about to... Uh, dictate a prayer in verse 1 of chapter 3, only to be sidetracked by his busy mind regarding the mystery of the church. And uh, to me, there is some comfort uh, for the rest of us if, if the Apostle Paul can get sidetracked. I certainly get sidetracked a lot. And uh, he got sidetracked for about 13 verses. But then he comes right back on track in verse 14, and he starts to pick up what his initial thinking was, was going to be. So instead, uh, indeed, verse 13, uh, if you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you'll follow, or a, a phone, uh, verse 13 proves to be another great segue uh, for what is to follow, because Paul writes in verse 13, so please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. How are the Ephesian Christians doing? How are they feeling? They're Gentiles, remember? Most of them. They're feeling very discouraged. Well, you say, why are they feeling discouraged? Well, because Paul is in prison, and Paul is in prison because of them. Because he stood in defense of the Gentiles, saying that if they come to Christ, they're, they're on the same level as the Jews who came to Christ because everything is level at the foot of the cross. So not only are the Jews welcome, but the Gentiles are welcome as well, one great big family. So if they're feeling badly that it's because of them that Paul is in prison because he took their defense. But Paul doesn't want them to lose heart. He says, so please don't lose heart because of my trials here. Those are the biblical words that uh, are used uh, for being discouraged. What are good words, eh? Losing heart. Don't lose your heart. Uh, I don't want you to lose heart. In other words, I don't want you to be discouraged. I'm sure that every one of us uh, understands a little bit of what it means to lose heart or to be discouraged because you can't go through this life and you can't go through this world without hitting some turbulence, without hitting some low times in your life, times when you get uh, most discouraged. And you know the feeling uh, when someone or something knocks the wind out of your sails and you just ah, feel it. 
I, I pray for the families of the Humboldt Broncos who have lost a family member because you can be sure that they are feeling great discouragement. It comes in the form of grief, but they're feeling discouragement. Discouragement comes our way. Uh, maybe somebody says something to you that it kind of has just an insinuating tone, but you know it, and you pick it up, that maybe you're not valued, or maybe whatever. Or maybe somebody has their facts wrong, and what they said was completely unfair. Do you notice how quickly your spirit begins to tunnel, uh, and your, your, your attitude, your, your spirit droops immediately? That's what it means to lose heart. I love it when people can kind of laugh things off. We say they have thick skin. Uh, they just let it go by them and it, because it eases the discouragement. Uh, I read about a mom who had a great sense of humor because she had so much to contend with with her kids. They were, they were a handful, and they did some crazy things. So she said, just in case you ever needed to know, a king-size waterbed holds enough water to fill a 2,000-square-foot home four inches deep. Oh, my. And she was still smiling. Just in case you ever wanted to know, uh, there are some things that uh, it won't flood you out completely, but it'll be four inches deep. She also said if you spray hairspray on dust bunnies and run over them with rollerblades, they can ignite great sense of humor. A little laughter helps. A cheerful heart is good medicine, Scripture says, but a broken spirit saps a spirit's uh, person's strength. And interesting how we can move quickly from a state of happiness to a place of depression and discouragement. Elijah, you know, won this tremendous victory on Mount Carmel. And it was only hours later that he's underneath the juniper tree and he's asking God to take his life. He just couldn't go on. He was so discouraged. I mean, here to here in such a short time. John Stott wrote that the chief occupational hazards of the Christian are depression and discouragement. He probably has that right. You've no doubt heard the story about the devil, uh, that he decided to go out of business go out of business. He didn't really go out of business, but it's a story. I wish he'd have gone out of business, but he didn't. So he offered his tools for sale, and they were attractively displayed. Hatred, malice, deceit, rage, sensuality, and lots of other sharp tools, but sitting in the center was a wedge-shaped, well-worn tool priced higher than all the others. What is that? asked a potential buyer. That is discouragement, the devil said. But why is it so costly? Because the, the enemy said, it can do my evil work best of all. With it, I can make the lives of many people feel of no value at all. I can make them lie down and give up. And they never realize that, it's, that, that I'm the one using it against them. I think so true. Discouragement is from the enemy. Paul is ready to launch into prayer. 
Well, what prompts the prayer? I think one of the things was the discouragement of the Ephesian believers. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Or verse 14 in the New English translation, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on the earth is named. Now, as Paul tries to take all of this in, the mystery revealed uh, to the Gentiles that they're welcome to come. And as he thinks of their discouragement, uh, it says he falls to his knees. That's interesting, just to sidetrack a moment, he, that he falls to his knees because typically the posture for prayer for a Jew was standing. There are exceptions, of course, as you read through the Bible and you'll find them. But uh, if you go to the Wailing Wall uh, in Jerusalem today, you'll see people standing and they're rocking and they're rocking as they're reciting their prayers to the Lord. Paul was uh, obviously feeling this so deeply that he just fell to his knees, maybe out of a sense of intensity, maybe out of a sense of urgency, out of love for these Gentile believers. He falls to his knees. I think it's true that the posture is much less important than the act itself, the act of prayer. But our posture may at times just reveal the intensity of what we're feeling. We're going to come together tonight to pray. Um, And uh, we're going to pray at the prayer summit. And mainly we will sit uh, or stand uh, or perhaps kneel if we like. But more important than our physical posture is our heart posture. Just having a heart to pray. And, uh, you know, you, you may have been praying as you came to work this morning, as you were dri- uh, to church this morning, as you were, as you were driving. Uh, and uh, when we enter into a difficult meeting, uh, we're often praying. When we need to talk to an individual who needs our words of of hope, perhaps, or encouragement, is I often find myself, Father, just would you just put the words in my mind? Would you just help me to know what to say? We can pray anytime. We can pray anywhere. We can stand or kneel or bow or stretch out on the floor or walk. Anybody here training for a marathon these days? Nobody? Oh, yeah. Some of us should, but... Uh, now, look at all the praying time. If you start, if you start uh, preparing for a 10K race or a marathon, look at all the praying time you have. It's awesome. So Paul prayed because his brothers and his sisters were discouraged. And have you ever noticed what discouragement does to you? How it impacts you on different levels? It impacts you uh, physically? and emotionally, and mentally, and spiritually. And in every case, you lose something. Physically, we lose energy. You can work real hard when you're discouraged and feel like you don't get too much accomplished. It's hard to keep focused. It's hard to keep motivated. You give it all you've got, but at the end of the day, there's just not as much to show for it. Because physically... uh, your body pays a price with discouragement. Emotionally, we lose touch with reality. Particularly, we don't feel like maybe we're loved 
and supported. And, and it's just like, I quit. I don't need to do this anymore. And sometimes we even wonder if God loves us. That's discouragement. And mentally, we lose our memory. We're not as sharp. Things we know, we know, we know, but we can't remember them. They're just kind of gone. That's discouragement. Spiritually, we lose our joy. We lose our intimacy with the Lord. We lose our vibrancy. So how does Paul pray? How can you pray for yourself if you're discouraged? How can you pray for others around you uh, who are discouraged? Well, there are four things that Paul prays for. And just to let you know, I think there's a progression that's going on here as we work our way through the Scripture. So just kind of watch for that progression. First of all, a prayer for strength. A prayer for strength. I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources... He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Now, friends, this is prayer for strength for the inner person. We all have an inner person. We have a spirit, our spirit. That's the real you. It's who you are. That part of you that will live on even when we die. It's the inner person. And I'm, I'm sure you've had a family member who, or friend who's been very sick, and they're just not eating. And we say, Grandma, you have to eat something. You have to keep up your strength. No, I don't want to. I, I don't feel hungry. I don't have an appetite. I know, Grandma, but you have to eat. You have to have something to drink. We can't get stronger unless we eat something. And uh, we're usually very concerned that that our loved one gets some nourishment into their bodies. And that's what Paul is saying here. You have to eat spiritually. You have to get strengthened inwardly in the inner person so you can keep going and growing and being a blessing to the world. He's saying, I don't want you to be discouraged and hindered from going on. Yes, if you want to receive all the blessings that God has for you, you have to eat. You have to be strengthened with the resources of God. And he prayed that they would be strengthened. The word means fortified, braced, invigorated, strengthened. I pray that your spirit will be invigorated. I pray that your inner spirit will be braced and fortified uh, by the dunamis, by the power of God inside of you, that you will be strengthened for his glory. What a great prayer to pray for yourself or for your spouse or for your child, or for your friend, or for your parents. And who has to give us this strength? God. God the Father gives the strength through His Spirit. The Father has glorious, unlimited resources. I like how the New English translation phrases it. I pray that according to the wealth of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened. Or another translation, according to the riches of his glory. I mean, there's no use asking anyone for help that doesn't have any resources themselves. They, they can't help you. They can't give anything to you. If you need $100,000, there's no sense asking someone who has just filed for bankruptcy. 
That isn't going to get you anywhere. You might come to them with great emotion and plead uh, and, and, and just give you your, the, the argument for them that you need this money. But if they have nothing to give you, you may as well save your breath. Warren Wiersbe uh, makes a point here that the comment that God does not give the, the Spirit's riches uh, power to us out of His riches, but He says according to His riches, which He says is a far greater thing. If I'm a billionaire and I give you $10, well, then I've just kind of given it to you out of my resources. No big deal. But if I give you a million dollars, then I have given to you according to my riches. The first is a portion, just a little bit. But the second is a proportion. Now, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength. Note the word empower. Do you hear what he's saying? I'm on my knees praying that you get it, that you understand your need to eat, that you know that you have a need to be strong and that God strengthens you by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is saying that no matter how hard he works, he can't make it happen for you. He can't wave a magic wand over you and make you strong. It's a function of the Holy Spirit. God has to show us supernaturally by the power of his Holy Spirit. And when he does that, well, then you just get it. We have to pray that kind of thing into being. And while we waver in and out of that understanding, the Holy Spirit keeps us getting it over and over and over and over again. Understanding is granted to us, and it happens through prayer. That means if you're here this morning, and you don't really understand that Jesus Christ really, really loves you, I can't talk you into that. Maybe God will use my words, but I can't talk you into it. I can't make you change your mind and your heart. That's something that God has to do. And the Apostle Paul understood that, so he got on his knees. And he was asking God to make that happen in their inner persons. So I, I, I would say just whisper to God, God, I need you to strengthen me. Would you fortify me? Would you brace me? Would you invigorate me? Would you help me to eat so I get strong? Would you do it, Father? And that is the Spirit who makes you strong. Lord, you have all of the resources. Would you use those resources to make me strong in you? And oh, how he loves that prayer. He will meet you. Now here's the progression. Then Christ will make his home in our hearts as you trust him. Verse 17. So if you're a follower of Christ, uh, Christ already makes his home in your heart. But it's true he may not be completely at home there. These words mean to dwell down, to be embedded, to be completely at home there. And to recognize that your home has, your home has many rooms. It may be that you have allowed him into certain rooms of your, of your life. But on the other hand, you operate with a padlocked door on some of the other rooms of your heart. They're just not open for discussion. 
They're just not open for examination. Christ is kept out of some of those rooms of your life. And when he's really at home in your life, deep, deep, deep within your being, all the doors are open and you are strengthened. So first of all, Paul is praying for a prayer for strength, that that inner person would be strengthened. Secondly, a prayer for love, that your roots will grow down deep, grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. The English Standard Version translated, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded. Rooted and grounded. Now, Paul mixes his metaphors here. Rooted is an agricultural term. Grounded is more an architectural term referring to a foundation. Like trees, our lives are to send its roots down deep and wide into the soil of love. And like buildings, the edifices of our lives here on earth are to have deep, solid foundations of love. And if we are properly rooted and grounded on the foundation of love, nothing will be able to shake us. Years ago, when we built the West Meadows Baptist Church, we started the project, and even though we had the soil tests done, uh, we were absolutely surprised at how difficult it was to get the foundation down. The area where we built was all peat moss, and the pilings, I kid you not, went down to 50 feet. 50 feet. All of those pilings, and you can imagine the number of pilings that needed to go down. All that, those pilings had to go down 50 feet in order to have a good foundation. And we always knew that the most important part of the building is the foundation, because if you don't go down, you can't go up. Several hundred thousand dollars later that we didn't expect, we had a good foundation. Paul prays that we will get our roots down. We'll get our pilings down deep in God's love, which will make us strong. Discouragement comes when we're not feeling the love. That can happen so easily in a family or among friendships. We can have our tiffs and our rifts and so on, and our emotions really are our feelings. It doesn't take much to feel down or maybe feeling that we're not loved and no one really cares and I'm alone. And When you're discouraged, your feelings play all kinds of tricks on you. Remember, they're just feelings and they can be wrong and they can fool you. Sometimes you just have to catch yourself and say, I'm reacting to my feelings. Why, we can even start to think that God doesn't love me. God's not on my side. He's not, he's not for me. We sang this morning, good, good father. But maybe he's not a good father. Things are not as bad as they seem, but that's what discouragement does to us. Emotionally, it makes us feel like we're not worth very much in people's eyes. And so Paul wants us to know that when we sink our roots into his love and we lower the pilings into his love, that we discover stability. He says your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you what? Strong. Keep you strong. 
We often look at the externals of life and we ask, oh, why don't we serve more? Why don't we do a better job at this? Why don't we love the people in our community more? Why don't we get along with one another? Why do we keep wanting one more thing, one more thing? But really, those questions and more are really uh, are, are symptoms of a deeper heart issue. It's really not understanding how much we have in Jesus Christ so that we're complete in him and we're full in him. Do you understand who it is that loves you and how much he loves you and that we're secure in him? No, often we don't really get that. We fail to get it, that how much we're really loved by God and held by him and strengthened by him. But if we did, it would change our perspectives. It would change the way we live. And Paul was fully confident of that. So do you see it? That's why he's praying for the roots to go down deep into God's great love. So when we get it, when we understand it, it changes everything. Thirdly, a prayer to understand and experience God's love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it's too great to understand fully. Paul wants us to understand this huge God-love capacity that he has for us. And it's a very difficult assignment. Paul is, is really saying, I want you to understand that the one who knows you the best actually loves you the most. And you can't do anything to make him love you any less. Why, in fact, if you never produced anything more of value in your life till the day you die, it would not affect his love for you. Isn't that a great thought? If you never contributed anything more to God and his kingdom, and it was just the last thing you've ever done, and you, you, you live for another 20 years, God would still love you as much as he, as he ever did. You can relax in his love. You can trust his love to see you through. You're secure in his love. He's got you. He's got you. He has you all through life. You can't do anything to make him love you less. You can never blow it to the point where he doesn't love you anymore. That's just not our kind of thinking, is it? I was trying to remember where I heard this years ago of a student who was not very confident that she could pass her language English exams. And she was so worried. She knew her stuff. It's just that when she would come to, a, to an exam, she would panic. And she would just, she would just, her mind would just go blank. And she, she would forget all the things that she'd learned. So her teacher pulled her parents and herself into her, her office. And her teacher said, Elizabeth, I know you. You can do this work. You understand it. You get it. So I want you to relax with it because I know you get it. I'm going to promise you an A grade right now, regardless of how you do on your final exam. I wish my teachers would have told me that years ago. I would have relaxed. She said, you have an A already. You've got an A. So don't worry about it. From, from here on in, just relax. And know that in the end, you already passed. So just enjoy the learning journey. 
Well, an interesting transformation happened for Elizabeth. The pressure came off her shoulders, and she just went to work. And in the end, she got her A, not just because it was given, but because she was free just to be herself and accomplish the task. Friends, you're loved by God. You can't make Him love you any more, and you can't make Him love you any less. It's just who He is. And he loves you that much. The only thing Paul wants you to discover is how wide and deep and love. Oh, I just want you to get it. I really want you to get it. And yet it's so hard to get it. Our problem is mainly one of not understanding how good God is. Some of us don't understand the love of God like we should. How wide and long and high and deep it is. We, we kind of get it and we kind of follow him but if we fully understood God's goodness, it would really change us. So that's the miracle that Paul is praying for here. It's not a miracle of physical healing. It's not a miracle of granting a vision. But it's a miracle at the core of your being that you would begin to understand his great love. And Paul prayed this because he knew he couldn't bring that about in his own strength. He couldn't. He couldn't even possibly communicate the depth of God's great love. He just, there just aren't words to be able to say it. You know, in reality, there are a ton of issues in life that we try to help people navigate through counseling. Hours and hours and hours of counseling. And sometimes the issue isn't just the immediate problem. The issue is really a lack of understanding of the love of God. The love of God that surpasses knowledge. The issue is not going to God for fullness. So instead, well, we need this and we need this and we need this from other people. But God wants to fill us up with his great love. And we're, when we're filled up with his great love, then everything else changes. And, and a whole different mind shift comes about. You can even be in prison writing letters. And you're okay in your heart because you feel this deep security of the love of God inside of you. And suddenly it's okay. It's okay. It's not easy, but it's okay. Perhaps we will be motivated to pray for our own hearts that God would open our hearts to see his love. One of the, the things that we can do this evening at our prayer summit is to pray for others. Is to pray that our family and our friends and, and uh, our, our loved ones would begin to understand the dimensions of God's love and feel so strong and so secure in his love. Well, finally, a prayer for fullness. That you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. In 1996, Mark and I flew to Atlanta, Georgia. It was the men's promise keepers uh, gathering of 42,000 pastors from all across Canada and the United States. It's amazing. They wouldn't let Marg in uh, to the men's Promise Keepers pastors gathering. Wrong gender. She didn't try to bust the door down. She would never do that. But I attended it, and Marg enjoyed reading good books in the hotel. And all these men gathered for this Promise Keepers gathering. And Max Lucado stood at the speaker's podium and he made a simple request. He said, on the count of three, 
Would you please shout out loud and clear the name of the group or tradition or church body of which you are currently a member? One, two, three. And then the, the auditorium was just filled with Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal. But you couldn't hear any of it because it all blended together and it was just like a big mumble jumble. Sounded like the voices at the Tower of Babel. I mean, you just couldn't. It was just a racket. And uh, everybody kind of looked at one another and smiled like, what was that? Then Lucado followed with a second request. He said, on the count of three, he said, would you please shout the name to whom you have trusted your heart and your soul and your ministry and your entire spiritual future. One, two, three. And there arose in unison the sound of just two syllables that filled the entire dome. Jesus! Forty. 2,000 men shouted that. Oh, it was powerful. Powerful. Let's just get a small sample here. I put the word Jesus on a slide. And when I ask you the question, please shout, the name to whom you have entrusted your heart and your ministry and your future. One, two, three. Jesus! That scared them all upstairs. It reminds me of the fullness of God. Wow. That feels full. And that's the point of Paul's prayer is that we come to the place where it's all about this God-man, Jesus. It's all about his fullness in us. It's about, it's about him being at home in our hearts. And so there is a progression towards the fullness the goal is to be filled with all the fullness of God. And we want to be full. We don't want to be empty or shallow. And then in chapter 5, he will remind us to keep on being filled with the Spirit. So everything he says points to the bottom line, that we're filled with the fullness of God. Paul prays. What's he praying for? That we might be rooted and grounded in love. Why is that? So that we can know the love of Christ. Why is that? So that at the end, you're a mature, complete person filled with the fullness of Jesus Christ. Oh, and the last two verses are a beautiful doxology. One of my favorite benedictions, to be sure. We'll pray it at the end of the service. So we'll come back to that. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, I think of that great hymn this morning. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, in the current of thy love. Leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. Lord, your love is so precious to us, so great. You love us so much. I know we can't really grasp it, even this morning. We can't really grasp it. But I pray that the Lord will begin to appreciate more and more how deeply secure we are in your love. I ask that your Holy Spirit would make this real to the one who's struggling with it today, that they would know deep within their heart that they're loved. And Lord, that you would overcome our discouragement and that you would fix our eyes upon Jesus. And that you would make this truth real today. Fill to overflowing out of your glorious riches.
You're a great and awesome God. We thank you this morning. Father, we thank you for loving us in Jesus. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name.